We're podcasting from the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. I'm Public Affairs Officer Taylor Henry, and I'm talking to Father Gary Studeneski today. Uh, Father Studeneski is a veteran of the U.S. Army and uh, recently retired now uh, at uh, St. Peter on Capitol Hill. Father, welcome. Well, thanks, Taylor. Good, good to be here. Uh, and your story is a little unusual in that you started out uh, in uh, the Army. Uh, tell me about your path toward vocation. Well, I had an ROTC commission out of the University of Toledo. So in 1979, I took the oath as a second lieutenant of field artillery. And for the next 10 years, frequented various military assignments as an artillery officer. And... There was a period of time there where I was a little bit drifting away from the faith. But, you know, it was something about those chapel communities that I kept plugging into wherever I was assigned that really got me to grow in my faith. And my faith took a quantum leap forward as I participated in the life of those communities. I was very active as, you know, in the various ministries like lector, Eucharistic uh, minister, or a catechist, or parish council president, all those things. And uh, over years, the good Lord was working on me to, uh, to help me understand that it wasn't only about a relationship with God, it was also about a relationship with his people. So the church became very, very important uh, as I connected with the body of Christ, the church, through these military chapel communities. It was a very broadening and and enriching experience. Eventually, it was a military chaplain who asked me that question about whether I had ever considered the priesthood. So it was kind of cool that it was a military chaplain who asked the question, which then led to great discernment on my part as to whether or not I was called to the priesthood. And and, uh, lo and behold, uh, I, I, I... I thought I heard the Lord calling me, and my first call was to the military archdiocese and saying, hey, I think I might be called to be a priest. And uh, then the, the military archdiocese was very instrumental in connecting me with a, a diocese that could, would co-sponsor me uh, for the priesthood, and that turned out to be the Archdiocese of Washington. And so where did you go to seminary? I went for one year. Uh, to Mount St. Mary's in, in Emmitsburg, Maryland, for my pre-theology work, which was basically philosophy. And then Cardinal Hickey, at the time, asked me to go to the North American College in Rome, where I completed my studies. And uh, so I received my bachelor's in theology and then a licentiate in theology, kind of equivalent to a master's in theology there in Rome. Well, what was that like? Well... <laughs> <laughs> Great, great food, good wine. <laughs> That's for sure. I, I def, my palate definitely uh, had a pleasurable experience there. But it's a, it's, it's an encounter with the Universal Church, you know. So I was studying for, with with students from all over the world, you know, not just from one diocese or one country, but literally from all over the world with a faculty that was international, and of course to be right next door to where the Holy Father lives and ministers uh, to, the, to the flock was especially a, 
uh, enriching experience. We're right there next to the Vatican, or in the Vatican, actually, in the Vatican City. And also, I would say, to study with men from all over the dioceses of the United States was a particularly uh, enriching experience for me. And this is when Pope John Paul II was yep. uh, still. Yep. He sure was. Uh, there. And, uh, wow. And so the whole time you knew you would be going back to the Army. Well, Cardinal Hickey was gracious enough to sign a co-sponsorship agreement. So, yes, there was a, a, an expectation that, um, you know, the, the Archbishop for the Military Services, the Archbishop of Washington, and, and I entered into this agreement. Um, so having had 10 years of uh, commissioned, active commissioned experience, uh, I, th- I think it was a pretty, good, a pretty good fit. And Cardinal Hickey was someone who... Uh, he, he had he had visited a military installation by invitation. He was invited to come over, and you know we visited a military installation. It happened to be Fort Sill, Oklahoma, an army installation, basic training, and kind of an inst- uh, installation. So he saw, along with other bishops who were invited, all of these basic trainees, you know, and a lot of them are names like Sanchez, you know, and Gonzalez, you know, and Ortiz, and he's realizing all of these large large numbers of of uh, Latino you know, kind of uh, soldiers, wow, there's a lot of Catholics that need good Catholic priests to minister to them. And what's going to happen to them if we don't supply priests? So that stuck with him for for years until he became the Archbishop of Washington. So when I asked the Archbishop if he would consider co-sponsoring me, he, he was very uh, eager to do so because, number one, he knew the Army and all the military services need Catholic chaplains to minister to the troops. But, you know, he also told me that he knew that by going into the military services, he would receive back in due time a chaplain or a priest that is with a a wonderful uh, experience in military service, having served our men and women in uniform, having had the leadership uh, uh, growth, development, having had access to wonderful military education, because the military is very serious about continuing education uh, all along your military service, and, you know, all of the, just, it was, it was just great foresight, I thought, on his part to, you know, it's not easy to give up one of your priests to the military chaplaincy, but here was a, here was a bishop who says, not only do our men and women in uniform deserve fine Catholic chaplains, and by the way, he sent me to Rome. I mean that's a statement in itself, right? Sure. He wasn't he wasn't stingy in that regard. He says, it's not like oh this is a military chaplain. I don't have to I don't have to give him any kind of special formation. He sent me to Rome to study, and then he gave me up for eighteen years, only to receive back. I hope a better priest than <laughs> uh, than when I left. <laughs> well, the usual route uh, nowadays in the co-sponsored seminary program is. Once the seminarian comes out of seminary, uh, he does three years in the local parish before going into the service. Did you do three years in Washington before you went back into the Army? I did. So I was newly ordained, and I was uh, sent to St. John's uh, in Hollywood, Maryland, Southern Maryland, St. Mary's County, and uh, was had, had just a wonderful experience down at St. John's, uh, learning how to be, if you will, a Catholic priest. And really, in really close proximity to the Naval Air Station there at Pax River. So I was able even to kind of 
get get a little bit of uh, uh, doing do a little bit of ministry on on the uh, the naval base, even while I ministered at St. John's. So after three years in Hollywood, then I was uh, back in the active army as a as a as a chaplain, and I served on assignments at uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, in the 82nd Airborne Division, and then. Uh, went to the peacekeeping force in Sinai, Egypt. Um, then I came back to the States, was at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, uh, as the Catholic chaplain on the post. Worked in the Pentagon for a while for the chief of chaplains and kind of worked with vocations and, and recruiting and person, priest personnel uh, management. Fort uh, Lewis, which is now Joint Base Lewis-McChord, and that's where I deployed out of to uh, spend a year in Iraq with the uh, 555th Engineer. Where were you on 9-11? Well, 9-11, I was in Egypt. So I was um, in the peacekeeping uh, force there in the Sinai, and, uh, of course, it was a very uh, jolting kind of traumatic experience for us all. There was, the Antifada was going on at the time, so there was a lot of unrest in the in the Middle East. Our windows would rattle at night uh, as the, uh, you know, Gaza Strip was, you know, flame and bombs and everything else, and then this happens. And so we were, uh, you know, we were, we didn't know what was coming next, so we hunkered down and we, you know, we, it were, there was a lot of, there was a lot of souls to be soothed, let me just say, uh, over the over those days, and I was kind of happy to be a part of that because there, there, there's a lot of people just kind of just needed some solace, some some comfort, and it was a beautiful thing. I remember one of my one of my fond remembrances of being a chaplain there in the Sinai was to be able to do a sort of memorial service for all those who had lost their lives in the attacks on 9/11, and the whole of the peacekeeping force which is represented by 13 different nations, not just the United States forces, were very, um, I think, very comforted by, uh, by the memorial service which, which we held for the fallen. What was it like for you to come back into the familiar setting of the Army as a priest? <laughs> so, as you say, somewhat comfortable. I had been a, a line officer for 10 years. Um, I remember that first assignment as a uh, uh, a, a, as a chaplain in the 82nd Airborne Division, which is a very high-speed, fast-moving division. I mean, really. Uh, you hardly have a time to catch your breath, and there's exercise after exercise and training event after training event and evaluations and this and that and the other. And so, okay, I had been a priest for three years. Uh, I kind of knew how to be a Catholic priest, but now, I have, now I'm a priest in the Army, which is different than being a priest in the parish. <laughs> and I still have a sort of a line officer mentality with, you know, I'm kind of driven and it's kind of like all about me and I got to get this done and there's all this pressure and it's like I got I to gotta perform to a very high standard and this is kind of my mentality. And I was struggling a bit, I will tell you, in those first six months as a Army priest in the 82nd Airborne Division. And one day I just kind of went to my deputy commander there in the brigade, who happened to be a very, very fine Catholic gentleman. And I was just sort of telling him that I was sort of 
I didn't know if I was fitting in, you know, I didn't know if I could hold on, hold up. And he, he looked at me like I had three heads. He said, father, father, he said, do you know how happy we are just to have you a Catholic priest serving in our unit? Do you know that? I mean, it's not about performance. It's about presence. And that was a very pivotal uh, moment. I just, I, I, I'm so happy for that. Uh, that that um, that commander who helped me to understand it wasn't so much about my performance as as much as my presence and bringing Christ Jesus into the midst of uh, the environment where people you know are suffering people are straining. I mean, I under, I know the pressures the military men and women are under because I experienced them, but. I understood from that moment I wasn't meant to be like uh, sort of like the fixer of you know fi- fixing all the problems as much as I meant I was meant to be the presence of Christ in their midst, who is the fixer, you know, to bring His power, Christ's power, to bear, and it kind of changed the whole dynamic for me as as a young chaplain. After that, I didn't stress out so much about all the military, uh, you know, all the all the pressures of military life. It was more about just being present to the men and to the women and and letting Christ just kind of flow through me. The chaplains are the only people in the service who officers and enlisted men can come to and keep confidences. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did you find that played out in your experiences? Well, as you say, um, the chaplain is a comfort zone because it's a very competitive environment uh, to make a to say if you're if your intention is to make the military a career wow well there are tremendous performance <laughs> implications there and you're constantly be evaluated so it's sort of like whatever you say can and will be held against you, you know. But with the military chaplain, is, is totally different. You can go in there with the chaplain, close the door. Now, this this only go this only works if the chaplain has built up sort of a store of credibility. How well by 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 suffering with the troops, by being there for them, not by being a you know some kind of uh, shadow figure that keeps stays in the office kind of thing, but is actually going out there and experiencing all the suffering and uh, uh, training and everything that the, the, the troops are experiencing, being there for the family members and such like that. So there's some credibility that's built up. Now uh, they know that you have shared the same kind of experiences they have. There's that uh, culture of shared experiences sort of thing. Camaraderie. The camaraderie, and there's that. Um, there's a sort of a respect that they have for you. Uh, you've built, you've, you've gained some credibility, so they're willing to come and, and to just talk to you. You know, and and I will say this too: the chaplain is one of the older people in the unit. You know, you've, but just by basic, by just by virtue of uh, education, you know, uh, uh, formation, priestly formation, experience in the parish, and such. The chaplain is probably about the same age as the unit commander. And so he's gained life experiences that perhaps the young soldier or the young officer uh, hasn't had. And so, you know, by virtue of education, training, life experience, uh, 
and gospel values, I think the chaplain has a lot to offer the men and women who approach him. Tell me a little bit about your experience in Iraq. Okay, big engineer unit. I worked uh, there as a brigade chaplain. Um, and of course, even though you're a Catholic priest, you're the chaplain for all of the men and the women in the particular unit in the army that you, that you serve. Um, so, uh, these are the these are the soldiers. There's a combat engineer unit. So these are the soldiers that are doing things like clearing uh, routes for convoys and such. So in other words, they're mine sweeping and they're blowing things up. You know, they're basically making sure that the routes in Iraq are passable. C- can you imagine that every day? These guys or gals are going out into and they're sort of. I say, quote, unquote, mine-resistant vehicles to blow things up and to clear, to to search for mines. That's a very perilous mission. Uh, So one of the first things I did, I remember one of the first things I did was, uh, I said, all right, all y'all, we're coming together. We're going to have a blessing of the fleet. (laughs) And these these are not religious soldiers. Come on. They're, They're not religious. But, okay, the chaplain... Yeah, sounds good. He's gonna he's gonna say a prayer over our trucks or whatever, and I brought the holy water and I brought the um, I brought the Saint Michael's medals and I brought the you know the book of blessings and I said okay you're gonna hold the book you're gonna hold the medals you're gonna hold the holy water, and we had this really nice prayer service. Then I went down the line and blessed all those trucks, you know, and I could see that they were thinking hmm, I don't know what this is about, but they were they were very respectful and I think they appreciated it. But then every day, as they were rolling out of the uh, of the gate to go out and to do that dangerous mission, I would be there to, as a part of their convoy briefing, bless them and just say a prayer of protection over them. Ask for the intercession of Saint Michael, the intercession of Saint Barbara, who's their patron saint as engineers. And at first it was okay, yeah, okay. There's the and then then before a long Taylor it was. We're not going anywhere until the chaplain comes to do his prayer kind of thing. So uh, not only, uh, again, the, uh, the, the prayerful intercession, but the chaplain, the, uh, the people, they even like you having it in their vehicles. I remember that in the 82nd Airborne very distinctly, where they love to have the chaplain on their airplane, you know, as they're preparing to jump out of them, you know. It's almost, I don't want to say a rabbit's foot, but... There's something comforting about having the chaplain uh, present and praying for them uh, that makes the troops um, very appreciative. The old cliche, there's no such thing as atheists yeah, in a foxhole, or is know. that true? Yes. Uh, I tell you, well, you know, a lot, of, a lot of men and women did die in Iraq, you know, and uh, to be there to comfort uh, them, the, the, the remaining unit members, I mean, they've just seen their buddy die, as an example. Uh, maybe it was a roadside bomb. Maybe. And it was kind of an uh, epidemic of suicides, too, in those days. The suicide rates were, were way up. Anyway, there were any number. It could be accidents. Um, but to be able to offer comfort uh, and closure uh, in those death situations was also a very... Um, uh, I remember those memorial services and those counseling sessions and those uh, kind of 
uh, what did we call those uh, sort of um, incident uh briefing sort of to help people kind of come to closure and process what just happened and to just to bring the 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 the, the compassion of christ into those situations i think was um very salutary for the men and the women even though they might not be very religious these suicides were taking place in theater yes oh yeah we had plenty of suicides Mm. um you know with all of your experiences what would you say Right now, uh, the uh, veterans of Iraqi freedom, uh, what what are they? Uh, what are their most difficult struggles now? What do they need most from the church, and the you know the uh, congregation of believers? How, how can we support them? You mean on the home front? Yeah. Well, now they're back in the states, and you know we hear a lot not only about post traumatic stress, but also in alcoholism, suicide. And moral injury is the, the most recent thing that has been recognized. These men and women are, 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 are not likely to open up and to share their experiences unless they trust you. Um, and I think those shared experiences mean a lot. So they need people who can sort of understand where they're coming from and perhaps for many of them, coming back to the, the civilian community, they don't find that trust and they don't find that shared experience. So I would hope that our Veterans Administration and uh, hospitals, and um, there might be some way for, for these veterans to be able to connect, really, with uh, people who kind of can understand what they've experienced and to just accept them for who they are and just be able to listen. I think that's the best thing the church can do is just have the a listening ear and the compassion of Christ that we extend to uh, those who have suffered greatly. And um, you've been retired for how long now? Yeah, just uh, about a year and a half. You miss it. You miss the people. I've met so many great, just great military men and women. I mean, just so professional. I, I would be one of the. One of the things I would wish for all our, our country men and women that they would somehow be exposed to the men and women who serve in our military forces. They're just um, there's values, um, their education, um, their commitment, their sacrifices, their families. I mean, uh, I, that's what I miss. I, I, that's what I miss. It's, just, it's, it's the people. It's always the people. Um, but. Um, it was time. I'm having a, I'm having a ball. Father Gary Studeneski, now serving at St. Peter's on Capitol Hill here in Washington, retired U.S. Army chaplain. Thank you for joining me.